Good afternoon, short-term shoppers. You are now in the short-term show special episode series on the Western North Carolina mountains. So this is everywhere from Asheville all the way down to Bryson City, basically that entire southwestern corner of the state. We're going to be doing a deep dive, 10 episodes worth of content on investing in this part of North Carolina. Now, we do have some supplemental materials for you over on our website, things like purchase prices of investment properties in this market, as well as the AirDNA income data. Thank you, friends over at AirDNA. So if you guys want to know uh, what all of these properties cost, you know, the different purchase prices, you can see that on the shorttermshop.com, as well as the income data. You can find that there too. If you guys want to buy an investment property in Western North Carolina with a short-term shop agent, email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com and we will get you hooked up. Or if you just have more questions, you want to come hang out with us some more. We've got a great Facebook group with a wonderful community of investors over at short-term rental, long-term wealth, same title as my book. And if you guys want to chat with us live anytime, we've got a call every Thursday and you can join that at strquestions.com. We look forward to seeing you over there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the short-term show special episode series on the Western North Carolina mountains or the North Carolina side of the Smokies, as I sometimes call them. Uh, today, we're focusing on data and numbers. We are not going to talk about expenses. That's going to be a separate episode. So we're only talking about income data numbers. i uh, got a great cast of characters to help me talk about this today, both of whom you guys are familiar with. And of course, my email just went off in the middle of my introduction. Sorry about that, guys. I'm not cutting it. Uh, so we've got Jay, our agent in North Carolina. Jay, you want to give just a quick intro? People already know who you are. Hey, I'm Jay Lawrence. I'm out here, uh, the short-term shops, Western North Carolina agent or the Smokies part of the Smokies for North Carolina. <laughs> I'm here to help you if you have any uh, needs or want to buy some real estate. Let's go. <laughs> All right. And then Kenny Bedwell also needs no introduction. I think Kenny, everybody knows who you are, but just for the sake of everyone introducing themselves, go ahead. Uh, yes. Thank you. Apparently I'm Kenny Bedwell, a character. I liked that. I was like, I've got two <laughs> characters here. <laughs> I was like, all right. So uh, Kenny Bedwell, founder and uh, CEO of STR Insights, a vacation data, data platform that helps you identify markets to invest in. Sweet. So hopefully we can talk about which submarkets are best to invest in in this market. But first, uh, guys, if you've listened to any of our other market-specific series, we're going to do some definitions. Those definitions are going to be redundant because we've done them on other series for other markets. But it's important uh, if people are jumping in on this episode specifically to uh, to give some definitions of some key metrics for um analyzing short-term rentals. So again, we're not really talking too much analysis here. We're talking more just income numbers. We're not talking expenses, but that's enough of me talking about it. Let's talk metrics. All right. So cash on cash return. What's that, Kenny? Uh, I'm put on the spot. So cash on cash <laughs> return is basically uh, how quickly you get your money back that you put into the deal. So an example, if I put $100,000, I'm all in for a $500,000 deal. Um, and I make um, a hundred thousand gross per year, but I net thirty three thousand. So after expenses, that's my net thirty three thousand dollars per year in rental income. I will get um, 
my money back in about three years. So that's a 33% cash on cash return or approximately 30%. So that's how quickly I got my money back. So that's cash on cash. So the important thing to remember about cash on cash is it's one of the only metrics that the it counts after your mortgage expense. So your mortgage expense yeah. is part of that. You don't have to subtract that out later. And you're going to understand why I pointed that out here in just a minute after we do a few other key term vocabulary word definitions. So uh, next, let's talk about cap rate. Kenny, I'm going to make you do that one too. Unless Jay um, wants to do it, but I just don't want to be giving the definitions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so cap rate, the best way to describe cap rate, and I mean, I love the definition uh, we got in the last episode, but uh, or from another episode, was basically um, how if you had purchased a property all cash, what is the uh, the re- how quickly would you get that money back based on your rental and in- income? So, uh, for example, if I bought that same property that was five hundred thousand dollars, what is the what is the person or how quickly would I get that money back in a percentage? So, if it's going to take you know ten years, then that cap rate is going to be around that ten percent mark. So that's the ba- I really like that definition is an all for using an all cash per purchase. Okay. Yeah, I do. I had never heard it explained like that before either. Garrett, our high country agent, explained it that way. And that actually makes it a lot easier for my brain to understand. So it did. I, like I was that. like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that one. Um, okay. And then we'll go net operating income and then we can stop with the definitions. Net operating income is your income after all your expenses, except your debt service or your mortgage payment. So that one is a little confusing for people because when they're watching, you know, YouTube videos or listening to podcasts and people are talking about net operating income, a lot of times they think that's your true net income, but it isn't. The reason it doesn't include debt service is because everyone's debt service is going to be different depending on the type of loan they get, how much money they put down. So Net operating income kind of levels the playing field, and then it's up to you to subtract out your mortgage payment, debt service, all that after the fact. So make sure when you are using that term and when that's being brought up in discussions, you understand that that is not your true net. It's your net before debt service. So I've seen people doing online analyses you know, on YouTube and stuff and saying, oh, look, look at this great 20,000 NOI. Now you've still got room for property management and you still got room for all this stuff. Well, the chances that your mortgage is going to be over 20,000 a year is pretty darn good. So keep that in mind. Uh, there's a little spreadsheet magic can be done if you are not paying attention to what NOI is. Okay. So the reason that we've given these definitions is because uh, there are several ways that you can kind of measure what the profitability or return on investment of a short-term rental is. I recommend cash on cash. That's my favorite because it works with that more true net number. Cap rate can work. I don't want to say it's completely irrelevant because everything is relevant in some form or fashion, but cap rate is used to determine the value of a commercial property, like the appraisal value. So depending on how much money the property makes, that will adjust the cap rate, which will determine what the appraisal value is. And since most short-term rentals are single family homes, they're not going to be appraised that way. So in the eyes of the bank, since they're single family residential, 
a short-term rental that makes $100,000 a year is worth the same amount as the house next door that's not a rental. Whereas if we were using cap rate and it were a commercial property or were viewed as a commercial property, that one that makes $100,000 would absolutely be worth more than the one that is not a rental at all. So that's why I like cash on cash return personally. Uh, another another word you're going to hear thrown around a lot is cash flow in real estate investing and specifically short-term rental investing. So cash flow is that's a pretty easy one. That's how much cash is flowing into your bank account after the expenses every month. Uh, it can be looked at annually, it can be looked at monthly, but keep in mind that a high cash flow and a high cash on cash return are inversely related to each other. So the more money you put down, the lower your cash on cash return is going to be, but the higher your monthly cash flow will be. And some investors look at cash on cash return. Some just say, hey, you know, I've got a lot of money in the bank that I need to move out of the bank and into another type of asset. I'm not worried as much about that cash on cash return percentage number and me getting all my money back as quickly. I'm more worried about what that monthly cash flow number is that that is being supplied to me by this property. Um, so just keep that in mind that the higher the monthly cash flow by putting more money down. So you put more money down, your, your mortgage payment is lower. So your cash flow is higher. Uh, just keep in mind the higher cash flow is typically inversely related to cash on cash return. Uh, all right, moving on to data. So there are lots of places, not lots, there are a few places that you can get short-term rental data, uh, AirDNA, Rabu, Kenny's company, STR Insights. I think it's good to use a mix of all of them. Uh, there's another one called Key Data, um, but all of them pull the data a little bit differently. So a question that I get a lot is, well, which one is right? Well, it's all going to be arranged. So none of them are going to be exactly, quote, right. There really is no right. It depends on how you're going to manage it, uh, you know, a number of things. So you have to, what I tell people to do, and Kenny, feel free to jump in on, on how you tell people to analyze. Uh, I tell them to kind of use, and we don't like averages in analysis, but I for this particular example, I tell people to use an average of all three or four, however many data sites you're using to kind of figure out a range of what a for example, four bedrooms should be able to do and then use the enemy method, which we'll explain that in a minute to kind of get to figure out what the intangibles are about why that data says what it says. Uh, what do you suggest usually, guys? Um, so from the data perspective, I would recommend, I think that's a great way to look at it. I would probably dive in a little deeper and actually look at the the revenue of those individual properties in that market for your enemy methods to identify who your competition or your comparable properties are. And then you would look at those same properties across each data platform and maybe document that in a spreadsheet and then take the average revenue from that. Remember, they're estimations. They're not exact figures. I'm not linked to your bank account. So I have no idea if you gave that person a 10% discount or not. You know, I can only see if there was an actual booking or not. Um, and nobody is going to be perfect. And also the way you host and market and design decor is going to vary. And we're making some assumptions and trying to predict revenue. So it's best to look at what current properties are currently doing. And then like Avery said, I love that taking an average across um, across them, essentially. So the, yeah. the more comps, the better. 
So, yeah. And I also stress the fact that if you're using some of these, um, you know, using the data and stuff, just stress, like I stress that it's, this is average. Like there's so many variables that can make you do better in here. So like, um, I like to tell everybody that and make sure they know that, that they're not concrete numbers. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, they're definitely not. And the, I also hear investors a lot of times say, well, I want to see real numbers. I'm like, well, what do you mean real numbers? Like the entire short-term rental industry opening up their books to the public because that's what it would take. So uh, just keep in mind that with short-term rentals, it really, you have to be comfortable with a range and that nothing's ever going to be exact. Like Julie, who we've had on um, basically on a ton of episodes, but she has two identical properties that she built that are 100% identical right next door to each other. And one of them is about 20,000 ahead of the other one so far for the year. And we're not really sure why that is. Like she's kind of trying to figure that out. So um, you can have the exact same property, exact same owner, exact same everything, and still have a variance in the performance. So short term, you have to be comfortable with a range because you're never going to be able to exactly predict what a property should be able to do. Um, so I'm going to hit on the enemy method really quick, and then I'm going to start hitting you guys with questions. So um, in addition, you always want to start with the data. I say the data is like 50% and then the intangibles are the other 50%. Kenny, feel free to correct me if you have any input on that. Uh, maybe data 70%, intangibles or 30%. Whatever. There are two pieces to that pie of varying percentages, um, but there's still only two. <laughs> it varies. I mean, it, it definitely varies. Uh, I was talking to, I have a data scientist we I work with, and she was, you know, we got, uh, we're looking at one market and we got up to 70% like data explaining the revenue, which is really high compared to everywhere else. I mean, I looked at another market and I was at like 35% of the data explained why people were making as much as they were making. So there are so many other things. And, and this is why the enemy method is so important. So I'm going to pass it back to you. <laughs> okay. <But> yeah. <laughs> so you're an investor. You figured out, okay, I think I want a four bedroom in this market. You've done everything that Kenny advises you to do in terms of looking at the data. And you've come up with your range of, okay, four bedrooms in this market do between this and this. And you've got your eye on a property that maybe your agent sent you or you're just cruising Zillow on your lunch break. And you're like, oh man, this property is really cool. I think I like this. So what you're going to do is you are going to go on the OTAs, which are Airbnb and Verbo, and zoom in on the little area that that property is. You could, there is a function on AirDNA that will allow you to see the surrounding properties, but it doesn't always pick all of them. So I like to kind of do it organic. Uh, but anyway, you're zooming in and you're looking at your enemies or your competition or your neighbors right around you. And you're looking at how their listings are maybe better than yours or how yours can be better than theirs. And basically why the data says what it says. And that's a really complicated way of saying that data and computers can't know that a property is performing the way that it is because the pictures look like absolute garbage and the windows are broken and the paint's peeling off and all that. Uh, or, you know, maybe the host is not responsive. And so they're way down the, the listing list. And so you don't, it's, their listing is not shown to a lot of, or there is not high on the list. I mean, exactly what I just said. Uh, 
So there's a lot of reasons why a property might be performing well or not performing well that the data just can't tell you. So you really do have to go in there and use the enemy method, look at the other listings around you to kind of figure out where on that data spectrum you might fall. And I'll add this, write it down. <laughs> like, don't just like look and be like, oh, I think this is what it is. I guarantee you. So one, you need to write it down. And then two, if you're looking in Jay's market, you need to call Jay and say, Jay, I see this in the in in these properties. Why is that the case? I guarantee you he'll have an explanation for you um, in, in terms of why that's the case. Like, oh, wow, all these properties, you know, have this really massive deck that are doing well. Like why, you know, and Jade be like, well, you know, we do see that this trend to back it up with his expertise in, in that market. And so, but I see a lot of investors, they'll go in, they'll do the enemy method and they'll just say, oh, that's, I think I need to add the hot tub or these other things. And they'll forget about all the other things that can really impact revenue that they're seeing in the images. And so write it down. There's going to be a lot more things than you think. So put it in a spreadsheet and create what I call a buy box. So anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. Make yourself a little spreadsheet of all the things. Okay. So now we've kind of got all that general, how do I look at income data stuff? And we'll probably have some more stuff related to that in a little bit, but I'm going to talk about this market specifically. So I want to hear both from the agent and the data guy, what your favorite areas of this market are and why. I'm going to have to go with Bryson city on this, on this side, um, just, you know, pouring over the tourism data and everything from, I think the last study was done in 2021 and it's a little skewed because of COVID, but you know, Swain County kind of consistently showed up at the top three for tourism there. So there's definitely a lot of need for short-term rentals around, you know, Bryson city and around Whittier and stuff. And, uh, you know, just in general, Bryson city is pretty awesome with its amenities there. And that's why that's probably my favorite one in this market. Um, I'm actually looking up the data as we speak. So bear with me. <laughs> Um, man, I, I was going to go with Maggie Valley, but you know what? Jay is Maggie's great right. too. Bryson City. <laughs> yeah. Not that Maggie Valley isn't great at all, but, um, Bryson City does have a, just based on the numbers, it is better and in, in terms of ROI. Um, so, I mean, I guess I got to go with Bryson City too. <laughs> not to like <laughs> compete, but anyway, um, I, like I will lot. say I real, uh, I, I will say though, um, so Asheville area, downtown Asheville, I know has strict regulations, but it's just, isn't it, Jay, just the downtown area? It's not like the entire, you know, border limits of Asheville, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much just Asheville. There's a few res- uh, zonings that are zoned for resort in, a- in Asheville proper that you can still operate short-term rentals in there, but it's mostly just, um, even if it's on the outskirts, I always like double check because you you never know. Right. And I mean, it's it's rare. So I'm not going to say if you look in those areas, you're going to find a deal but because prices are typically higher there. But um, I mean, that's a lot of people want to stay in Asheville. They want to stay, you know, near the bit more, you know, go do stuff downtown. And so um, finding an opportunity in those areas, because a lot of investors, when they hear regulations, they run for the hills. They turn, they go somewhere else. They're going to look in Black Mountain, maybe Swannanoa um, and other Montreal. areas. But, but yeah. And so I, yeah. And so, I mean, even looking and I, I love um, the potential. I've seen people do it basically is what I'm saying. Invest in Asheville itself and, and find those good deals. So I keep that in mind, but anyway, there is a little saving grace for Asheville though, because we don't require business licenses anymore. 
And, um, but we did. So if the short-term rental in Asheville was permitted, you can, and it's a sh- existing short-term rental, you can buy it and take over the permit. So you can still, you can still find those deals in Asheville, but they're just not as plentiful as, you know, investing somewhere else. Yeah. Great. All right. So we like Maggie Valley. We like Bryson city. Where else? What was it? Was that the she talked about favorite? Asheville too? Or a- yeah. Asheville, if you can get it. Yeah, and uh, Brevard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brevard's a Brevard's a pretty good place. Um, it's 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 got its own little appeal, and it's connected right to the Blue Ridge Parkway. So, um, plenty to do in Brevard, and that's Transylvania County. Do you so. feel Jay that Lake Lore? is too overpriced right now i think a little bit inventory. Okay. a little bit so and then you know the other side of that coin is cashers and like lake talks away you know that's i mean <laughs> they've always been kind of overpriced but yeah gotcha okay interesting what do you think Kenny? um yeah i mean i i personally haven't seen a deal there in a hot minute so, uh, but I, uh, I, I mean, I even stopped looking altogether. So in the past couple of months, I just stopped, you know, looking at Lake Lore. I think Lake Lore is a really pretty area. Um, you know, obviously the lake, but then it's got some mountain views as well. And so having a lake with the mountain market is unique in of itself. Um, but, uh, it's expensive and you got to be in the right locations. I think that that's key too, is, um, Bryson city, Whittier, you know, Maggie Valley, you know, you are looking for the mountain views to really maximize revenue and some, you know, nicer properties. But um, in Lake Lore, you've got to nail the location in order to maximize revenue from what I've seen in the past. So, um, which makes it a lot harder to find the right property. So anyway. You could find a deal, but it might not, might not necessarily be in the spots you want it to be. So yeah, exactly. You know, on the, on the lake or with the views or wherever there. So we do have other great lakes though. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I was picking on a few. Like, Brevard has a lake near there, right? Or am I completely off? I actually honestly don't know. I don't, Brevard's kind of on the spectrum of my uh, area. Yeah, it's on the border right down down there. Okay, interesting. Awesome. So, what other, obviously, a view (laughs) that's the, that's the gimme in terms of amenities that add income value. So what other amenities, and again, sorry, this is a little redundant, but we're talking numbers now. Uh, what other amenities add, do you see, Kenny, that add that extra income on the data side? In Western North Carolina? Yeah. So the biggest ones that, you know, I, I say the obvious, I don't know if that's obvious for people listening, but fire pits, hot tubs. I mean, that's just, th- those are proven time and time again to impact and increase your revenue and increase your ADR, average daily rate. So having that fire pit, now people ask, well, what kind of fire pit does it, can it be a solo stove? It's it's not necessarily the type of fire pit that matters, but the fact that you have something out there where people can gather around together and ex- have that experience. So when, when I look at areas where there's views impacting revenue, because that's a big thing in this area or in Western North Carolina, you're also looking for th- things that can impact the experience. So it's experiences that really are impacting the revenue, not necessarily just the physical view. So the fire pits, the outdoor games, anything like that, that you can get people outside the hot tubs, like where they're experiencing kind of the outdoor nature. Those are the things that are going to impact 
revenue by a significant amount in Western North Carolina. The other thing too, nicer properties. I mean, this is kind of like a, I don't know, a generic one. And you guys are like, why did you waste your time saying this? But (laughs) it's true. Nicer properties in Western North Carolina typically do better than, you know, a lot older properties. And you're going to see a lot older properties in Western North Carolina because um, a lot of them have been owner occupied for so many years. So if you can get a new build or you can get our update, and that's really where the good deals are at is updating. So during a, so rehabbing or, or, you know, touching up properties, updating the bathroom and the kitchen area can really impact uh, the revenue and the type of guests you're getting as well. So think about nicer homes, obviously, you know, that I I feel like that's kind of a no brainer, but then the outdoor experience is the biggest thing. So hitting that. And that's where your nature views come in. Like that's why they're one of the things up here that are great. And, and, and Kenny, I got to tell you, 98% of the short-term rental properties that I look at that are existing short-term rentals have a fire pit. So you're absolutely correct on that. And, um, not every one of them has a hot tub, but it's definitely a perk up here. Yeah. 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 And what I like about Western North Carolina is that, uh, there's what I call barrier of entry. So the number of amenities, the types of amenities people have, there's just so much less in terms of the types of amenities compared to say the Smoky Mountains, you know, where people have indoor swimming pools and, you know, like all, all like arcade rooms and game, all these like elaborate game, bowling alleys. Even I'm saying, I'm like, man, I can't even imagine competing in that, you know, where you go to Western North Carolina and there's properties without hot tubs. You know, that's a standard in, in a lot of areas in the, on the other side of the Smokies in Tennessee. So um, it, the, it really gives you the opportunity where maybe some of these areas haven't even hit their revenue potential because there's just so much like, you know, untapped uh, you know, revenue in that area where people would come if it had certain amenities. Um, you think of the EV chargers, for example, I was asking, I know this is high country, but I'm assuming it'd be the same in Western North Carolina where, you know, there's very few towns that have public EV chargers and these are drive-in destinations. So where, so if you drive an electric vehicle, you can't drive unless you're like driving back to Asheville. So you can't stay anywhere in those areas. So these are types of simple amenities you can add that aren't super expensive that can really impact your revenue in a big way. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even think about that. That that is a good a good point there, and um, putting that on there for your electric cars. Uh, that's absolutely great. Yeah, yeah, totally. We need that. We I think we we either talked about adding one or we just added one in our destined place. It's really not that expensive. No, yeah. no, I think go ahead, Jay. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say in the arcade, that's starting to catch on here. I'm starting to see that a lot more in uh, existing short-term rentals. They're, they'll have a couple arcade machines. So, Yeah. And Kenny, this may be too granular, but do you see a big difference in like the full on or difference in the income data with the full on like, you know, buck hunter or like, I'm going to use the word for real arcade games versus the stand-up ones from Walmart that look like arcade games, but they're like a little smaller and you could tell they're not like real arcade games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I can't like, I can't tell you a number can be like, Oh yeah, it's going to be like X amount more or less. $27, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, $27 a day. You're at your ADR. Yeah. But there, there is a difference. I mean, 
Um, yeah, I, short answer is yes. There, there is a big difference. There is a value. There is an ROI to investing in some of these nicer amenities. Um, now, you know, if you go overboard, I think that's really important too. Is you know, going overboard might be you know there 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 is a diminishing returns to scale in terms of you know if I add a bowling alley inside of my you know rental in in North Carolina, Western North Carolina, is that going to make me fifty thousand dollars more a year? Probably not. It's going to cost you a lot to do that, most likely. So you you want to be wise, but you also don't necessarily need to go want to go cheap. So I, I think that's really important. Um, but I mean, yes, absolutely, there is a, a greater impact in the nicer amenities that you can have on the revenue. So all right, and what about? Traditional cabin decor like log furniture and bears and mooses and all that versus like an updated, more modern farmhousey look. Does that because I see people here's why I'm asking that because I'll see people who are like, Yeah, I'm going to rehab my cabin and then it doesn't look any more updated. It's just new versions of not updated furniture, like not new versions, like a new one of the thing that's not updated. Like I hate log furniture. Um, but I see people a lot who will say, oh, yeah, we're going to redecorate everything. And then they go get all the log furniture. So that's my what I'm getting at there. You know, I see a mix of both of those. There's definitely a lot of the the log furniture and bears and all that stuff when you walk in. But there is a there's a good balance between that and the um, the the modern rustic. I think rustic does really well up here because, mm-hmm. you know, you're in the mountains and that's what you're, you want to get that full amount and immersion. And I tell people, I'm like, you know, the the full log look doesn't necessarily make or break you. It's, you know, it's, if you just rustic it up a little bit, make it modern. I mean, and it looks great, you know, and it has great view, then people t- typically don't care. Yeah. I, I hundred percent. I mean, remember most of this area for the longest time has been residents, you know, so um, they, there's not too many of those like cabin, like log, built cabin like looks in this area um and so a lot of it like jay was saying is rustic i mean you know think of the the wood beams you know throughout the house and uh you know my uh, i've got family that lives in that area and it's like a colonial house with like gorgeous mountain views um you know and i mean just the, the houses can vary um and it, it really like i've looking at the data it's it's kind of like it doesn't matter you know it's just having that nice house and that view is is the most important thing and and the location so yeah and you know we we do you there's always the option if you really want to do it you can put the uh the faux logs on the outside of your house and then you know there you go you know it keeps up with appearance oh like the log siding log load yeah (laughs) yeah 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 it's it's kind of popular up here too because you know people realize that's the theme up here All right. So back to the data itself, which I probably should have hit this at the beginning. But so, Kenny, when I'm looking at data from any of the major data sites, what all is included in that gross income number? Does it include cleaning fees? Uh, Is that before taxes, like taxes after taxes, which taxes, if so? Yeah, I guess that's kind of my question. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it does. It does include the clean fees, but that's it. So, I mean, the taxes are separate. Uh, If you go into Airbnb and you put in uh, or VRBO, you put in the calendar dates, it's going to spit out a price and it's going to spit out the cleaning fee and then it'll spit out if there's any other fees. So we're not collecting those because they can vary. And also, um, you know, direct booking sites, it varies too. So we just decided to not collect it those. So you need to make sure that you understand those fees while you're calculating your revenue as well. 
So, and, and I'll, I'll add this too. I don't think I talked about it last time, but okay. we're not taking out the 3% or the 15% or whatever the platforms charge you. So you need to make sure that's in your pro forma when you're running your expenses that you take those out if you're going to run it on Airbnb or VRBO or booking or wherever. So definitely. So what are, what do you think is the most important metric of the ones that are typically shown on the big data sites in terms of gross annual income, occupancy rate, and average daily rate? Which one do you look at the most, at least for this market? It can be different for different markets. Uh, I typically like to look at the annual gross on that. Um, uh, there's a lot of people that are you know, focused on the, the occupancy rate, but I'm like, hey, if you just look at the end of the year, you know, what's it doing rather than from month to month? It's good to know, you know, you know, it's good to know what your occupancy rate is and stuff during that time. But I don't think that it's, it's as important as the annual gross, in my opinion, anyway, you know, so. hundred percent. I mean, the, the annual gross is where it's at, you know, like I'm, uh, that's how I'm weeding out deals uh, before I even look into anything else. And I mean, honestly, like before I even, you know, go into whether it's a, a good deal or not. I'm trying to figure out what the comparables are making on an annualized basis. You know, before I even look at ADR and occupancy, ADR and occupancy to me are when I'm running the performa and the expenses. You know, that's where I'm putting those numbers in to see what they are. But ultimately, it's all about the yearly revenue. Now, I will say, if you are a new investor and you um need to like you are looking for markets that are more year round there's no such thing as a four season market then occupancy level is important um i i think western north carolina is a great i'd probably argue maybe a three season market even not just a two season three season market you know so i think it's a great market and you're going to see higher occupancy rates ranging like 60s even 70s depending on the size of the property but um you know if you're going for a high bed count the occupancy rate naturally decreases you know say you're looking at a five or six bedroom that's probably going to be low 60s so you need to make sure that you're comfortable with that and understanding when are the peak seasons because you might have to carry some costs if you're starting out getting that listing up and going right away and you're missing that you know initial revenue so um that's more pressing for a beach market but uh you know than than this particular area or this region but um that's something that you might consider when you're new and if you're more you know sensitive in terms of you don't have a, a deep deep deeper pockets for savings is looking at the occupancy rate and the seasonality so yeah absolutely agree yeah and a lot of times if you're looking at that stuff i see a lot of investors who will go on AirDNA or rabu and they will multiply the average daily rate times the occupancy rate and get a completely different number than what that gross annual income is and a lot sometimes it's higher sometimes it's lower um, but you can't do that. I, I can't speak for all of them, but I do know on AirDNA, which I think is the most widely used one, that the occupancy rate they show is not based on a 365, almost said calorie, <laughs> 365 day calendar year. It's based on the number of available days of that property. So it's not like a one size, it's not an across the board equalizing metric. So properties that were maybe only available for a month that show 70, 80% occupancy rate might be dragging that. Like if somebody opened up, say, let's say in not this is not related to this particular market, but say a market's high season is December and somebody opens up November 29th and they're really, really booked for December, it's going to show you, say they were 100% booked for December, it's going to show you 100% 
and it's going to skew that the data for the rest of the market high because it's not based on 365 days. If they'd been open for 365 days, you know, maybe the occupancy rate would have been 60% or something else. But you got to be careful. You can't, at least on AirDNA, multiply the occupancy rate times ADR and get a reliable number. Um, what else have we not covered, guys? Anything seasonality? That- seasonality. Yes, that is so, right here on my notes. What is yeah. the seasonality of this market? So, I mean, we start out typical, just I imagine like what it's like across the board, you know, January, February, you're kind of getting started throughout the year, but North Carolina will hit that nice, start hitting their peak season going up through like May through August, you know, where the summer and all the summer activities in here. But last year, I mean, just this is, I'm going off air DNA data from last year that we got. And um, we saw a significant jump in November and December this year or last year. And um we do have a lot of winter activities, especially Maggie Valley and um, Mars Hill. There's ski resort, ski resorts there. And then, you know, that casino all year round, you know, people like to gamble. So, um, but a lot of our tourism and a lot of people that have come here are, are retirees from Florida. So they have second homes. So there's a lot of people coming to visit their family. That's what I imagine why we saw a significant bump in November and December. So we got a nice little curve going here. And and I, I'll say too, I think that my opinion, um, I and I mean based on the data, I mean the so it's not even really my opinion. Uh, the Western North Carolina has become a travel to destination, not necessarily a drive in destination. Um, I've personally witnessed it. I was on a flight back. Uh, I was flying from like California back home. I live in New York, but um, there was a couple sitting next to us. They were traveling to Asheville or flying into Asheville for vacation, um, you know, and and they were going to go to Maggie Valley and ski. I mean, to me, that that signs that, hey, this is a market that's not just, you know, seasonal that was impacted by COVID, but is long lasting uh, beyond COVID. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on the Western North Carolina market in general for its seasonality as well. So, yeah. And, um, you know, one of our biggest demographics too, is like people that visit here. I mean, they're in state people coming from other parts coming here. And then, you know, when the leaves start changing we got the leafers that come in and, um, you know, there's just a nice little uh, steady flow throughout the end of the year. Yeah. You guys are making me want to get in the motor home right now and drive up from Florida. Hey, I, I, yeah. I, I will take you and Luke axe throwing when you get here. So I do, I do that for all my clients when we buy. That's our celebratory thing. You go axe throwing. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. You can't see it. Do you have the beard tail? He has the beard tails in. So I even put beads in for it for you today. Every there you go. Nice. <laughs> if you're if you're listening and not watching this on YouTube, Jay has a very magnificent beard that he puts in beard pigtails, otherwise known as beard tails. Sometimes. Beard tails. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Jay's fun. <laughs> I like it. All right. What else have we not covered in relation to data and Western North Carolina that you guys think we need to hit before we go? Um, there is a, one thing. I mean, just going over data from last year, like I, I'm realizing that there's kind of like a, a lack of certain type of homes in certain areas like Canton, Cashers, Clyde. Um, there, Well, sorry, Canton and Clyde. Let's go with Canton and Clyde. There seems to be a lack of four to four plus bedrooms in Canton and Clyde. And I, I can see why. Uh, it's because it's kind of like in that limbo area between the the amenities, but um, you know, just a couple like that, and like cashers. The there was a, a lack of one and four, 
bedrooms there. So uh, that's very pertaining here, but there, there, it just doesn't show the data. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because in this case, we would have to resort to enemy method if we're looking at like a, you know, a six bedroom in Canton. Um, which by the way, Canton's almost safe to buy in again. They shut the paper mill down in June. So, um, the smell will not be permeating Canton, although that's, it'll, that's probably take, <laughs> it'll probably take a few years to get the smell out of Canton, but you know, we got to air it out. <laughs> and that guys is exactly why you need a local agent. So many people, and we'll talk about this more on another podcast, but I see so many people that like, just want to go directly to listing agents, bypass the buyer's agent. Cause they think they're going to automatically get a deal. Um, a, it doesn't, it, that just means the listing agent is getting paid double for you to be unrepresented anyway, but they're not going to point that out to you that, Hey, by the way, like this looks like a really good deal person in California that is buying in uh, Western North Carolina. And that you see something in Canton that might be a good deal. That listing agent is it's their job to not tell you unless you ask how, do, Hey, how does this town smell on any given day? So, <laughs> It's their job to represent the seller. So that's why you need a really good example of why you need a good buyer's agent. Yeah. All right, guys. Anything else data wise before we go? Yeah, that's pretty much it for me. All right. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think we've pretty much covered everything. I I like, you know, we touched on it, but I like the future growth. I know they're trying to expand some of the ski resorts and, and, you know, just the influx and traffic has picked up. And so definitely headed in the uh, right direction. And, also, I'll add too that you don't see as much um, new construction like communities for short-term rentals being built in Western North Carolina. And that's huge if you're concerned about market saturation and, you know, increased competition and things. So um, that's, yeah, something to, to keep in mind that it's it's definitely like, you know, current houses, what's available kind of, you know, already built is is what you're going to be shopping for. So, yeah, and it, it also has come on my radar too. We are uh, about Murphy, North Carolina, that, um, you know, there there's seems to be a good amount of new construction coming in over there too. And I do go to Murphy, y'all. I don't mind doing that for you. It is a little bit out there, but uh, <laughs> if we can find you a good deal out in Murphy, let's do it. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's some new construction, you know, consistently out there, it looks like. But awesome. Kenny's right. There's just not a whole lot of new construction over this way. I mean, you see it, but it's not not big for short-term rental communities. Yeah, gotcha. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, thank you guys so much for your time. Kenny, thank you again for taking time out of your day to come on to our podcasts. And um, yeah, totally appreciate it. And we'll see you here in a few days. And um, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you, Avery. You have a great day. You too.